This is your Thursday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Hope everyone's having a great day out there today. I will be joined in just a little bit by my friends Chris Atterbury and Jim Andrews for some Formula One auto racing talk. That is a first on Daily Delivery, but uh, I think a worthwhile conversation. If you've never watched Formula One racing, it's a good time to start. The new season starts this weekend. Lots of big personalities, lots of intrigue, um, and lots of other stuff to pay attention to. So we will get into that in just a little bit. Got uh, some some Vikings updates. Our Ben Guessing reporting that the Vikings are seeking, or maybe seeking is the wrong word, but exploring trade possibilities for Daniil Hunter, their defensive end, who is due a large bonus on Sunday. So that uh, that piece of things will be interesting. We'll probably have something to do with what goes on with their salary cap going forward. Minnesota United made a big trade for Kamar Lawrence, a left back that should help them tremendously, and uh, plenty of other stuff to get to as well. But first, we got to start with some results. Wolves and Wild, two big home games on Wednesday night, both of them coming up well. Let's start with the Wolves. They, uh, I believe they clinched at least a play-in spot with a with a victory over the Lakers looked like a rout. It was, they were up big early. Then it got a little tight in the third and fourth quarter, but then the Wolves pulled away late 124 to 104. Talked a little trash. Even uh, Russell Westbrook airballed a shot, uh, a shot towards the end of, uh, of the game. And my, Carl Anthony Towns was giving him a little bit of uh, give him a little bit of stuff. So was Patrick Beverly. After the game, Russell Westbrook said, according to the Athletic, that uh, no one on the Timberwolves has done anything in the league to make him care about their trash talk, um, which is kind of funny since Russ is basically an empty stat chaser himself. But that's a story for another day. He's probably just upset that the Lakers are garbage this season. So. We'll let him. Uh, we'll let him have that. But uh, you know, it's kind of part of this attitude and swagger that the Wolves have this season. It's a fine line to walk. Again, Russ isn't wrong in the sense that the Wolves haven't really done much in 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 a long time. I'm I'm taking more issue with what he's done than what they've done. He's right. They they've you know they've been a bad team. They've been a bad franchise for almost all of the last two decades, save for that brief. You know, 47 and 35 year under Tom Thibodeau. They've got it going this year. They're 41 and 30, like I said, will be in the play in at the very least, but have certainly higher aspirations than that at, at this point. Um, you know, but but the larger larger point is they're they're trying to walk this line every night between you know not letting their emotions get the best of them, but still playing with an edge and a swagger. Um, head coach Chris Finch was asked about that after the game. Let's play a short clip of of kind of how he thinks of their uh, of how they've walked that line. Yeah, no, I do. I like the fact that we uh, you know we have confidence. I like the fact that uh, we play with a lot of emotion. Um, you know, we also have to realize like you know. You know, we have to kind of also mature a little bit and act like we've been there before because, you know, we have so far this season we have. And I would tend to agree with that. I think my biggest gripe from time to time has been Carl Anthony Towns letting his emotions get the best of him. I think he's done a better job of reining that in um, as this season has gone along. There's still been some times when he complains too much or where it seems like he takes himself out of a game by by using his emotions in a negative way. But I think 
Patrick Beverly certainly sets a good emotional tone for this team. I think Anthony Edwards sets a good tone, and he had a good game uh, against the Lakers as well. Good to see him get back on track. Towns had 30 points. So, you know, when the team is playing well, you don't want to mess with the confidence and, and mess with kind of the the way they got there. So I've got no problem with that. I've got no problem at all as long as they back it up on the court, and they have been doing that lately. Let's get to the Wild as well. Um, much needed 4-2 win over Boston on Wednesday. We, we spent a good portion of Wednesday's show talking about all the problems this team has, about Bill Guerin addressing some of that, about the trade for Tyson Jost. Jost made his debut seem like he did just fine, but really it was the, the, the core guys, the mainstays that got it done for them. Kirill Kaprizov, two goals in the game, first two to give them a 2-0 lead. He has 32 on the season now, trying to trying to catch Marion Gabrick for the team record. I think he needs 10 more now, closing in on the team record for points in a season as well. Um, and Jordan Greenway with an absolutely great shift and great goal to give them the go-ahead goal in the third period. They get a late one as well into an empty net, so... You know, good goaltending from uh, from Cam Talbot. Good gritty effort from the Wild in this game. A much needed outcome. Again, like we've talked about, they they hit this slide. They kind of stopped playing the way they had been playing. And this is just one game. You know, we, we don't want to draw too many hard conclusions from one game. But when you can at least um, show that you still have that identity, that you can still play that way, that gives you confidence to do it again the next night and the next night and the next night. So maybe. This will just be a uh, you know a, a 16 game blip on the radar. It's kind of a large blip. That's kind of a big dot more than just a blip. But if they can get back to playing the way they were playing earlier in the season, that probably won't matter a whole lot by the end of the year. They'll still be a playoff team. They'll still carry some momentum into the postseason. So I will be curious to see a how they come out in their next game and b if there are more moves to come from Bill Guerin before Monday's trade deadline. I'm probably probably watching to see how they play, you know, watch to see how they respond and I guess the response Wednesday was a good one. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake for 24/7 gaming, fun restaurants and bars and luxurious hotel rooms and join Club M to bask in the rewards. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake where every day is play day. Like I said at the jump, we've got some Formula One talk coming up. But first, the debut of the Daily Delivery Dancers. Uh, you know, come to think of it, that's that probably would have been better if you could have seen it as well. But I hope you still enjoyed in some capacity that uh, debut performance by the Daily Delivery Dancers. Special treat on Daily Delivery today, aside from the aside from the dancers, um, Jim Andrews, longtime friend of mine, Chris Atterbury, also a longtime friend of mine, and you might recognize, um, well, you might recognize Jim as a cookie champion. You might recognize Chris as a voice of the Minnesota Twins, but I know them best, aside from being friends of mine, as Formula One racing enthusiasts, and they have tried to lure me into their world of Formula One racing. I've been resistant, but it's a, a common theme on our group text, so I thought, what better time to have you guys on to talk a little Formula One than right now, the season 
is uh, you know, first race is this weekend in Bahrain. Qualifying starts. Uh, well, sorry, uh, testing and then everything's been going on, and then there's the uh, the qualifying Saturday, the race itself on Sunday. So, welcome, gentlemen. I hope you guys are ready to talk some F1 racing. Always. Um, when you said give me twenty minutes to talk about F1. I couldn't have been more excited about that. That's all I ask for of anyone, you know. <laughs> and I find it amazing that you've never once asked me on to talk about anything that I actually know about. And now I get to come on this famed program on the same day the dancers debut. And I get to talk about a sport that I'm just a fanboy of. I know. I, I mean, it's like we have so many twins people on our staff. I could have had you on to talk twins at any point, but or, you know, Stanford sports or Montana basketball, anything, anything of that nature, but formula one seems appropriate. And I'm, I'm just curious. Like, I know this is a very popular worldwide sport. It's got some, you know, some audience in the United States, but you know, how did you guys get into watching? How'd you guys get into F1 racing? Because it, it, it is out of the mainstream a little bit, um, you know, along, you know, it's not a ball sport. I'm a ball sport guy. How did you guys get into this? It's in your name. So yeah, you are a you are a ball guy. I'm a ball uh, guy. I got into it because of the Netflix show. I think a lot of people started to in the states anyway with uh, the Drive to Drive to Survive series on Netflix. Uh, just kind of uh, it's a the NFL or it's the F1 Hard Knocks basically um, makes a lot of drama around F1. Kind of gives you a a good idea of. The process of the weekend you talked a little bit about qualifying about how important qualifying is and the races so that's how i got into it and then just started watching races and then really went overboard with it but i, I enjoy it so much it's great yeah and the timing of it too right and and the netflix series certainly is the catalyst for a lot of people like us around it. it's become a talking point you can read about it in the atlantic you can you know find people discussing it and the netflix series has a lot to do with that for me what it satisfies is a fan urge that takes me back to when I was a kid, uh, you know, in Montana, we didn't have a pro team. So coverage of sports pre-internet was so different, right? Like everything was distant. You know, we had an afternoon paper that was two days behind, or you read sports illustrated once a week, you stayed up for Monday night football to see the highlight package of all the teams you never got to see. And there's no better time to be a fan than when you're like 12 working in sports, you know, you kind of know how the sausage gets made. I like having a sport, that can fill those childlike desires to be a fan. I don't need to be too in the weeds. I can appreciate the colors. I can appreciate the speed. I can appreciate the talent of the drivers, the drama, the soap opera elements, the international flair of it gives you a little world cup feel, you know, cause you've also got flags and people racing for countries and, and teams. And yet it's once a week, there's not that many guys to remember. And then I can go back about my daily business. So that's kind of how I, it makes me feel like a, a kid fan wise again. I, and I tend to lump like all auto racing in together and that's not fair, right? Cause formula it's one not. from the limited amount of exposure I've had to it, the limited amount I've watched is exceedingly different than like NASCAR explain kind of the, if for, for a complete novice who's never watched a formula one racer or who has a skewed perception of it, like what does the race look like? Well, they make right turns as no, well. That's so that's something new for a lot of Americans, uh, usually just the left-handers with the oval. Um, the cars are really small. I mean, they're, they're half the weight of a car that you'd like your Subaru. You drive, they're probably half that size. Um, but they're 
longer and wider probably. And they go, you know, 200 miles an hour over 200 miles an hour top speed. So it's just, uh, they're a lot quicker. They go through corners faster. Um, the speed, they're not as fast as Indy cars, but Indy cars are not as fast through corners. They don't handle as well. They'll, they're built more for speed. So. And every course is different, right? Every every course is, has different elements to it, whether elevation or maybe it's a, a street course, which I think are kind of cool. Mm-hmm. We're driving through the streets of Baku or the through the streets of, of Monaco, most famously. The other fun thing is that you have to build them, right? You've got your driver's title race, then your constructor's race. And we we love to talk. I know you do, Ramball, about analytics and sports, right? We've got legions of people making careers out of building algorithms about pitch framing or corner threes versus long twos you want to take the ultimate analytics port all right build a car here are the regulations you can do anything you want within these regulations but your team has to mill every part you have to put this whole thing together and figure out analytically which is the fastest way to do it and then throw your driver in the car so i think it adds that dimension too it's a complex pinewood derby so to speak, you know what I mean? It's, it's, um, it's great. Also about the tracks too. You say everyone's different. They, there's a regulation. If they build a new track, it has to be built with native dirt. So meaning wherever that it fits in Bahrain, they've just built a track in Saudi Arabia. They had to use asphalt from there. They can't ship it in anywhere. Granted, I mean, you're not getting dirt and shipping it on a container is not cost effective, but you know, that's interesting. I mean, and just from, you know, following it from a distance, from listening to you guys talk about it, there was, before we get into kind of the season this year and maybe what was, what's ahead, it feels like there's like two things stood out to me from a lot of what you guys talk about. One is just the, the money and the outsized personalities in this sport seem to drive it a lot. And, you know, two, the controversy at the end of last year, and we can get into that a little bit, just like what exactly happened with, with that piece of it. So maybe let's, let's start with the, the kind of the, the big egos, the big personalities. Cause that seems like that's a, that's a fun part of this. It is. And it's very much a, a European or worldwide sport type thing. So my wife, of course, fenced internationally, right. And she was in Germany and Russia and Bulgaria and Italy and France. So she'll walk into a race and I'll be like, Oh, this guy's getting hosed and they're here. And she's like, well, of course they are. That's how it works. Like there's less pretense about corruption in the worldwide sporting world uh, than there is in, say, the NCAA, where we have to say scholar athlete, uh, even while Will Wade has a job. So uh, that part of it plays in. Right. And you've got uh, the, the countries versus country and you've got kind of the culture of the country into it. And then you've got the piles of cash. I mean, it is purely piles of cash go to monaco look at the yachts lined up alongside uh, and they tried to change that this year with the regulation changes and limiting things a little bit uh, but it is a big old soap opera in many many respects and it's a spectacle they literally travel with a ferris wheel to every track so it is completely a traveling circus is this the kind of thing like you know when people when there was the kind of the soccer the international soccer explosion, you know, five, 10 years ago, whenever it was when premier league started being shown more, you know, more readily, whether it was on NBC sports or things like that. And people in the United States got a much more, you know, complete picture of international soccer. People started like picking teams, like who's your team? What's your team? Do do you, is that a common thing in 
F1, do you pick a driver? Do you pick a team that you like, or is it more just you're watching from a distance and just kind of enjoying the spectacle of it all? Oh, you absolutely have to pick a driver. I think, like, I think everybody's got their favorites. I think, um, I think everybody knows who they like. And again, like you, like you said, the personalities, like you get up close and personal with a lot of them. Like my, my favorite driver, Kimi Raikkonen of all time. Like I love, I love his attitude. I love how he drives. I just, uh, I love him. He retired. I'm sad now, sad boy. So I have to find a new, a new favorite driver. Um, and right now the leading driver is Valtteri Bottas just because another Finn, uh, it's great. You know what I mean? You just kind of fill it in and you get to hear a little bit of their personalities and they're just uh, a lot of oddballs. Yeah. And the forced, uh, the way they do the media, the forced media where they sit them next to each other after they've been racing against each other. And then the movement between teams, you get to pick your driver, but then you also have to pick which team you like. And then like, like I love Carlos Sainz, but then he goes from McLaren to Ferrari and cheering for Ferraris, like cheering for the Yankees, right? Like I can't bring myself to walk around sporting Ferrari red, but I like the driver. So now I'm in conflict about it. And then they have this beautiful thing where they change, they, they sign for the next year with a different team while they still have half a year to race with their current team. I mean, how fun would it be in the NFL if the quarterback could pick a team for next year but still have eight games to play for his current squad i mean that uh it's a good concept i've just been told the twins were swept by ferrari in the uh playoffs this year <laughs> no sorry tough. they're tough uh, ferrari's got a lot of pitching you know what i mean i just thought by the way this is uh, an aside this is a this is a little baseball talk sorry but i saw the yankees projected lineup has ben rortfit as the catcher and and um, all the guys they just got in the trade uh, all going to be starting for the Yankees, apparently, unless something else happens. Plus Aaron Hicks. So four of your Yankees, nine uh, projected starting nine are former twins this year. Good, good luck with that. But this is this is this is Formula One talk um, for, you know, I think people maybe caught like bits and pieces of there was a big controversy at the end of last year. What what happened? Give me like the give me the synopsis of why that was such a big deal that the, the final race of the year in 2021. Well, they basically just made up the rules uh, as they were going. They were under a red flag. Verstappen versus Hamilton for the world championship. Lewis without his eighth. No one's ever had more than seven. Uh, there was a, a, a red flag for a crash, and there was a lot of lobbying of the race director. You can also go back to earlier in the year in, in Spa where they just kind of made up some, some, some new ways to allot the points in a rainstorm. Uh, and again, that's the one where if you competed in any sport across Europe or internationally, you're like, of course, that's how it happened. But uh, it basically uh, Red Bull felt like they wanted fair and square. Mercedes felt like they got robbed. Uh, I tend to lean on the got robbed side of how that all went down. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's it's made for great TV. And as great as that Netflix series has been for the explosion, the popularity of the sport, it certainly looked like a very scripted television ending uh, to the season. Even my, my 12 year old at the time was screaming uh, when it happened. Yeah, well, I mean, it's unfortunate, too, because Verstappen is a great driver, and he should win a championship. But under the circumstances, it it almost feels like they wanted him to win to create, like you said, to create a drama with Hamilton and, ooh, the, the you know, seven-time champion just lost and, and all that. So that really is um, – uh, it, it's, too, it's too bad that it happened. But on the other hand, every other team coming out and saying that Mercedes was cheated – and they were robbed. Uh, 
And the only Which, by the way, everyone be, hates Mercedes, so that was a big deal that people for, would yes for Ferrari to be like they've hey, won uh, like eight in a row and nobody likes Ferrari to be like Mamma Mia that was that was bad. It's uh, it's not great. So everybody else came out. Red Bull's the only one defending the old race director Michael Massey, who, by the way, the FIA found a new job for him. He's no longer the race. He's no longer in charge of races. They moved him, promoted him actually, which is kind of the FIA way it seems like um but yeah it's just it's too bad and now they've changed a bunch of rules changed how the application of that specific rule is going forward in the future um to make sure it doesn't happen again but yeah there's always there's been controversies at the end of seasons before uh but i think this is the biggest one where it was the the officials interfering it's been drivers crashing into one another or things in the past winning championship, but never really uh, an official taking it away from somebody. So. And, and Mike, one of the cool things about the sport for newbies. And again, I'm the, the fan that the hardcore fan would hate. I'm like the guy who's like, Oh yeah, you know, blues travelers, not bad in 1995. Like, no, no, only the early stuff. This stuff's too commercial. <laughs> um, you know, the, there's people who have ownership and, but new fans like me, who can take it on any of a variety of levels. What's great about being a fan now is you can get as deep as you want on it. And it's also a sport that not unlike soccer that you mentioned or baseball has, it's a great literary sport. There's a lot of great writing about it. There's a lot of great history to it. There's a lot of great visual history to it. You can literally see how the cars have changed, how the speeds have changed. Um, and you can find these swashbuckling figures throughout its history. So it's a really fun sport to, to get into at whatever level you're comfortable getting into it, even if it's just give me 90 minutes on a Sunday morning and then call the rest of the weekend good uh, because I like watching things go fast. Or if you really want to dive in, again, the, the literary element of it um, and the, the historical element of it is super fun. A couple more things as we continue our Formula One talk. Probably will not be the last time we talk Formula One. I'm getting more into it right now, just listening to you guys. Where does all this leave us now as... The season is about to start. What are some of the big kind of storylines to to watch in this 2022 racing season? Now, new regulations are the biggest one. They, they, they've changed things essentially to try to make it more even uh, for the smaller market, as you would call them, or, or smaller budgeted teams. Uh, and so the new regulations, different size tires, uh, the cars should be able to race closer together. And they're trying to increase um, if it was a baseball analogy, pace of play, right? They're trying to go yeah. from the, the true outcomes to more overtakes and allowing the cars to be a little more aggressive and nobody knows how it's going to work out. So everybody was starting from ground zero with their car. That's first and foremost. Uh, and then that happens to dovetail. And I think Jim would agree with a really fascinating group of young drivers there, there's, oh, the, sure. you know, Lewis Hamilton, maybe the best to ever do it. Max won his championship, but he's not alone in that young set of really, really, really talented guys like Lando Norris and Leclerc yeah. and, and Pierre Gasly. Uh, and then they're getting fresh talent, first Chinese driver. Last year was the first Japanese driver on, on the circuit. Um, and then you've still got old world champs like like Vettel and, and Alonso. So I think the driver makeup is really cool when it comes into concert with the changes in regulations. Yeah. Well, I mean, it wasn't the first Japanese driver. I know you're not a big history buff on F1. You're new to the <laughs> sport. Takuma Sato and other. The guys. only one that's been shorter than my 12 year old. How about that? And she loves Yeah, him. he is. He's as cute as a bug. Little Yuki. You just want to put him in your pocket. Um, yeah, I think, like Chris said, some of the big things coming up are 
the regulations. I mean, they have a salary cap. You know, before it was unlimited spending, it was who has the most money. It was a complete meritocracy as far as um, who could win. There's, you know, revenue sharing in baseball and stuff. There's no revenue sharing. It's just like, we have the most money. We're going to put the most money into our car. So Ferrari would do that. Mercedes would do that. Um, and you see periods of dominance for them. Uh, but yeah, they've tried to eliminate that so smaller teams can compete. Uh, they're trying to, like Chris said, make it so that cars race closer. They've changed how aerodynamics work. It goes now more of a ground effect underneath the car instead of over top. So there are cars and teams that use more ground effect that are a little bit ahead of pace now than, than others. But yeah, I think that's, that's it's just going to be interesting coming up. But I think the, the biggest thing for the season is always going to, it's going to come down to what it always is and who's the most reliable, who has the most consistent car. Um, so I think that's, that's the big thing. And right now it's, you know, Red Bull and Ferrari, I think are the two out front from Bahrain testing, but there's so great. much, I mean, <clears throat> it's hard to keep kind of hard for me to wrap my head around. You got testing, qualifying, you got the race, um, you know, on the weekends, it sounds like those are usually on Sunday. Like how, how do you watch this? If you if you are a fan of like a lot of different sports and you only kind of want to dabble, like what, what, what's the best, what's the best stuff to watch? Where, where do you even watch it? I, I mean, like I'm so like out of the loop on this compared to you guys that I'm just like, I don't even know what channel it's on. Like who, who, who regularly shows formula one racing? Well, Jim's a big F1 TV guy. They've got it's all the sorts of stuff. Um, I, I, I am a little more casual in that. I tend to just watch uh, some of the qualifying and then the races on ESPN typically on Sunday mornings. And it's not unlike, you know, back in 2002 when you could go down to a bar at, at, at eight in the morning and watch a premier league game, you know, with a bunch of people it's early because of the time change typically, uh, and you can knock out a race before the rest of your family wakes up and then you can go around the rest of your weekend. So uh, it's again, it's it's a, such a massive sport around the world. And because we're Americans and we see everything through our prism where if it's not huge here, it's not as important. We're just the Dumbos who are finally catching on. Yeah, I mean, I started watching a lot of the practice sessions. So they have three practice sessions before qualifying. And those are great. Um, if you're in a work from home situation, you can re record this stuff. You have to record it because it is in Europe. It's in the Middle East. It's all over the world. So it's on at two or three in the morning. You know, it's it's but it's live. If you're an insomniac, F1 is a sport for you. Uh, but you record it and then you can watch practice sessions. And it's, you know, an hour and a half of cars driving around a track. And it's pretty boring. But they talk a lot about what's going on in the sport. Uh, driver changes, rule changes, drama between drivers. That's the thing. I mean, all these guys have such big egos. There's always drama of, well, he did this and he said that, and this guy did this in the last race. And uh, it's the, it's the best. It is the absolute best. And the broadcasts so, are great because you get the, the radio transmissions of the drivers yelling at each other about different things. Uh, and then, you know, the, the great over the top English accent turn of phrase broadcasters that, that uh, they make you laugh and smile all at the same time. Well, maybe I'll give it a chance uh, this weekend. I, I'm more likely to watch it now than at any other point in time. I know we got NCAA basketball this weekend. We got other stuff, but Sebring, I'm interested 12 in it. Hours What's this that? Weekend, 12 hours of Sebring this weekend too. Uh -huh. 
We got we got so much. Going. <laughs> <laughs> we got a we got a lot. Um, Jim Andrews, Chris Atterbury, our official daily delivery Formula One experts. I, I no. guess we would say, um, or at uh, least no, a, no, no. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you qualify as experts on this show, um, and uh, we'll we'll uh, we'll do this again at uh, at another point in the uh, the Formula One season, and I'm sure I will hear um, about a hundred things about it on group text uh, before that happens. So, thanks you guys for joining me here on the show today. Thank you. Thanks, Looking man. Forward to joining you next Friday, Formula One Fridays. Thanks, Mike. I enjoyed that conversation with Chris and Jim. I hope you did too. Even if you're not a Formula One or auto racing enthusiast. Hopefully you learned a little bit and makes you want to watch a little bit. Give it a try. I'm going to give it a try this weekend. Why not? Let's let's give let's give F1 a shot. A lot of people are into it, and you know if a lot of people are into it, there must be something going for it. The personalities, the racing, the the intrigue. So I'm going to give that a shot, and maybe you should too. Let's get to a couple of roster things before we go. Uh, here in the cooler, Vikings reportedly trying to trade or looking possibly to trade to Neil Hunter. That was in Ben Gessling's story in this morning's paper. He also tweeted that yesterday. Ben will be on Friday's show to probably talk about this a little bit more, whether there's a resolution before then or not. But, you know, Daniil Hunter got a big $18 million bonus due on Sunday, kind of a, a trigger point for either redoing his deal or p- perhaps trading Daniil Hunter somewhere else. So that will be a thing to watch. Vikings have been relatively quiet so far in free agency. I think Ben noted that in his story today as well, still trying to dig out from some of those cap problems that he inherited from his predecessor, Rick Spielman. Um, you know, Daniil Hunter, certainly a great player, hasn't been on the field much the last two years. Do you pay him? Do you how, how do you deal with that? And, you know, there hasn't been much of a big change. Is this going to be the first big change? We will see, and that resolution should come sometime before Sunday because without it, they can't really do much else in free agency because of the salary cap. And the Loons added uh, left-back Kamar Lawrence, um, longtime player they've coveted. He's been one of the best defenders in Major League Soccer over the years. He will help certainly um, you know, shore up a team that, that that could use use some help on that back end. He's he's got a little bit of offensive ability as well, but mostly, you know, just kind of help them get get that uh, you know get just get more solid in um, in that spot. So a good move for the Loons. They lose uh, last year's second round pick, I believe, but still um, certainly a, a a worthy move to make for a player they have been pursuing for a very long time. That will do it for today's show. Like I mentioned, Ben Gessling should be on Friday's show to talk Vikings, free agency, new league year, Daniil Hunter, whole bunch of good stuff. And I'm going to get Ben's thoughts on Kirk Cousins because we haven't talked about that with Ben since that happened last weekend. Hope you enjoyed today's show. Be back at it again on Friday.